This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two leftover mutants from Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's new X-Men, Paul Jaceley. Hey, humanoids. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited to talk about comic books because, you know, it's been what feels like one of the longest weeks of my life because <laughs> I started a new job. And, you know, I don't know if any of you guys have done that recently, but holy smokes, just changing jobs that's tough business mm-hmm. but before we get into things i do have two announcements one the official i read comic books goodreads reading challenge has begun we're asking everyone out there to read 24 comic books for this year 11 of them should be from the ircb folks plus our goodreads mod aaron and 13 should either be from our book of the months that we're going to do throughout the whole year or from and or i should say including uh the 10 comics recommended by our five dollar and above patrons who are wonderful people we've got an incredible amount of comic books that are like every single one of those books is solid in the challenge that we recommended that everyone read but we are really just hoping that people will read more comics this year with the goodreads reading challenge as always that's our biggest encouragement and we're hoping that everybody reads something diverse and exciting and gets you into something maybe you hadn't you know tried before i think one of the best things that came out of our reading challenge last year was everybody saying oh my gosh i never would have read this book had it not been nominated i i never read manga and yet here i am reading this manga book and i actually liked it you know stuff like that people trying new things and i think i i i love the diversity of comics that we've gotten from everybody this year and in previous years um but this is our best goodreads challenge yet as far as i'm concerned so get in on that go to goodreads.com search for i read comic books find our group i'll put a link to it in the show notes but it just started i really hope to see everybody finish it because if you finish the challenge this year you get to help us pick what the first book of the year for next year is going to be which is always exciting um and thanks to everybody who organized that i said that last week on the show um but yeah it's really really fun anyways um the one other thing i want to announce is that paul was recently on, a, on another podcast talking about batman the 60, 1966 movie called best one since the next one Paul, could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, I highly encourage that you do. Uh, my friend John Pataki has been doing this show for about uh, two months now where it's a deep dive into particular fandoms. Uh, they did every Matrix movie. Every week they do a uh, discussion of that week's Book of Boba Fett episode and John recently started doing episodes about all of the Batman films. And the first one was about, of course, the feature film from 1966 starring Adam West as Batman. One of my favorite movies of all time, arguably the best Batman movie of them all. (laughs) It was very fun to talk about that with John. So um, if you want to hear me talk about Batman even more than I do on this show, and trust me, I'm going to talk about Batman on this episode. You can check that out. Best one since the next one. It's available pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. So yeah, it's a a fun show and uh, I hope you check it out. Yeah, it was it was super fun to listen to that episode. I uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for anyone that's interested. Um, I had never seen that movie before and listening to the episode only encouraged me to want to watch it because for one, I think everybody knows how over the top that movie is, you know, with the famous bomb running scene at Danny in our in our discord chat uh, just posted a <laughs> gift to that. But like not only that, but everything about that movie just sounds super over the top and, and amazing. And I can't wait yeah. to sit down and watch it. It's really one of those movies I watched so much as a kid that I've kind of like internalized it, but revisiting it now uh, as an adult, I think I liked it even more. So yeah, definitely worth checking out if you haven't. Amazing. Especially. Yeah. Amazing. Well, let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books. I've got those two legally mandated questions I have to ask, which is how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. Well, Mike, I have uh, a couple different, very, very different comic books I read this week. I'll start with one of them first. Um, 
I read This Is How I Disappear by Marion Mall. Uh, it was a book published last year by Drawn and Quarterly. It was originally published in French since Marion Mall is a French artist living in Montreal. It was translated into English by Alicia Jensen and Bronwyn Haslin. Um, and uh, this is a very sort of quiet, meditative kind of book. It's about a, a woman named Clara, who is a poet who's really struggling with writer's block while she's trying to write her next book. Meanwhile, she's trying to balance her own need for self-care while being very supportive of her friend, friend group. And that's really weighing on her. She's having sort of very dark, depressing thoughts, dealing with unpacking some trauma that she went through when she was younger. It doesn't sound like a very uplifting book, but it's a very, a very honest um, and unflinching and touching portrayal of how it feels to have depression and to deal with trauma mm. and how even modern times with the sort of connections we have via social media and cell phones and being in touch with your friends constantly, even that can feel isolating and too much at times. I thought it was a very, very beautifully told story with a lot of very uh, soft, quiet moments in it that are very touching. I thought it was going to be a very heavy, dense book, but I burned right through it. It's a very easy read. Part of that is because uh, Mal's artwork, it looks so simplistic at first, mm -hmm. but as you get deeper in the book, her line work gets more expressive. She has a great way of illustrating the inner emotions of the characters in these quiet moments through subtle little you know, posture or the way she draws their faces. It's a very expressive book, and if honestly, if you're dealing with any type of um, depression or trauma, it might be triggering at times, but it's also a very touching way of describing and showing those things in a way that's sometimes hard to put into words. And I think that's kind of the magic of a comic like this, where mm -hmm. you're getting the emotion, you're getting the, uh, the political implications of some of the topics without it being said explicitly. It's all there in emotion, and it's all there in in pictures as opposed to being stated flat out. So it was, it was a very touching book. It's something I might actually go back and reread to kind of see if there's deeper stuff in there that I kind of glossed over the first time through. I, I highly recommend this book. It's, I saw it on a lot of like best of the year lists from last year and I can definitely understand why it's a tremendous, tremendous comic. Nice. Now, I did a I did a quick Google search for this just to check out the art. Uh, and if yeah. you search, this is how I disappear. Maybe this is just because my Google search algorithm is catered to me. <laughs> Why? Of course, My Chemical Romance come up? <laughs> the My Chemical Romance song came up. That was the first item. Yeah, um, you know, running into that classic problem of you have to put the word comic after <laughs> some titles of comics because otherwise well, they just won't come up. And it, I think that speaks to the uh, slight generation gap we have here in the podcast. Because the first song I think of is that Metallica song from the Mr. Impossible 2 soundtrack. <laughs> I disappear. I think that was Mission Impossible 2. I don't remember which one. Anyway. So I don't even know that My Chemical Romance song. So oh, amazing. I go to a, a shitty Metallica song from the early 2000s instead. Right. right. <laughs> was that like a movie exclusive tie-in or was that a song of theirs? I, that, uh... Yeah, I think it was just a soundtrack. The music inspired by Mission Impossible 2. You know, any, any, so. any song that's like just specially done for a movie, especially if it's like blatantly like strong arm to like fit in the plot. You know, basically every yeah. Will Smith song, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> special place in my heart, right? Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I mean, I you listen remember to Wild Wild West, you don't have to watch yeah. the movie. So I guess right. that's... <laughs> I guess that was the thing because I, I vividly remember this the the video for the song basically being the trailer for the film. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Anyway, uh, we're way off topic from that comic, but I'm glad. Um, So I'm actually going to ask Nick right off the bat. I already know what you've been reading, Nick, right? You've been reading some Love and Rockets, as we discussed. Yeah, diligently, fast, hideously, (laughs) without any breaks, yes. Um, No, I I mean, I I will, if, if we want the Love and Rockets update, it would definitely be that I made it through another 20 pages and this isn't like an insurmountable book it's like 300 pages mm-hmm. I, I think i'm just getting dumber and that's just really what's <laughs> happening but uh <laughs> this it's it's a dense book and maybe this changes but i yeah, i opened it up and it's like 14 panels on a page each one's <laughs> like got a lot going on it's like a lot of talking and it, that's not to say that the the structure or the plot is bad it's just there's a lot going on and (laughs) for me at like 11 p.m on friday night i was like nope i can't do this (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i I will say for listeners who aren't aware uh there was a a gentleman's bet between nick and i that if i watched joe Perry talks with you uh he would read two love and rockets books of my choosing so he's working his way through maggie the mechanic the first collection of the jaime hernandez love and rocket stories and you're right it starts off very dense and i will say by the time you get to that volume Jaime has streamlined his storytelling. It's not nearly as complex or dense or overwhelming. So just power well, through, Nick. You'll get to it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought that I was like, what is going on when it starts with like hover bikes? But now it's talking about like reprogramming robots to make them evil or something. And I'm like, yeah, sure. what is yeah. this is? Yeah. This is really going places. I I did 100% not uh... slice of life type of comic <laughs> that you would expect from Jaime Hernandez. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like oh, I'm just going to my job and navigating my friendships and everything. No, it's like <laughs> this reprogrammed robot is gonna kill half of our desert outpost. I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, doesn't that isn't that exactly the kind of comics you like to read, Nick? I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> it really. I mean, that's the thing, because like I think Nick, what the comic I want you to talk about next is exactly that. Yeah, exactly right. I'm like, I can't handle this book, and then it's like, what else I read this week? Exactly that book, just for nine year olds. Sure. <laughs> what a good uh, guilt inducing segue there, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this week I read uh, Star Wars Crimson Rain one and two. Sadly, this is not a follow up to the Prince song of a similar title. Crimson Rain. <laughs> so, for those who aren't totally unaware, I didn't completely hate War of the Bounty Hunters. Again, the very short version. If you just read the event book, it's not bad. It's okay. I mean, these books and these Star Wars books are always going to have limitations, right? Canon, narrative, Star Wars limitations, right? Because this book occurring between Empire Strikes Back and, and Return of the Jedi... Um, obviously Han Solo does have to stay in Carbonite, does have to end up at Jabba the Hutt's palace. Uh, minor spoilers for a 1983 film. Sorry, everyone. Thank you. Thank uh, you. <laughs> how dare you? Um, there's someone out there who was like, I was scheduled to watch that movie tomorrow for the first time. Well, now right. you don't have to. They're not listening to this show. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're going to, they're going to a very angrily telegraph their friends. Um, yeah. So, so this book flows out of that book, that event, I guess. And I don't really know. Danny says it's not for nine-year-olds. It's it's for nine-year-olds. Come on. That's not <laughs> necessarily a bad thing. That's like that's that's like if you get the Lego set and it's like eight and up and you're like, oh, I'm well over eight. And you're like, I'm not doing this. Um, 
<laughs> so I don't know if you can call this an event. It's a thing that has its own book. And if you go look at some of the other Star Wars books right now, they do have a Crimson Rain banner. But I don't really think... Um, uh, Danny says make Jackson canon. Uh, Danny Jackson is canon. I believe he was in one of the IDW Star Wars Adventures annuals, and those books are technically canon, so he is canon. So I'm glad we were able to address that issue for you. <laughs> Nick, um, did you like this Crimson Rain book or no? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm lost. <laughs> Honestly, I, 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 I did like it. I thought it was okay. I think the biggest thing that it contributes to Star Wars canon is that it actually makes the events of the film solo um, – mean something it actually okay. has some significance okay. and weight and charles soul has managed to sort of tease out some of the narrative threads from that movie and make it actually somewhat significant and i guess i should probably get into some credits here charles soul wrote it stephen cummings drew it guru efx uh who also does the colors for uh the alien book uh colored this book travis lanham uh on letters and so basically simply put uh Crimson Rain has to deal with this group called Crimson Dawn. Uh, they're a criminal syndicate, uh, the latest, greatest criminal syndicate in Star Wars. Um, probably the last one everybody might know of is uh, Black Sun, which was sure. the yeah. one from Shadows of the Empire. Um, and they're kind of led by Kira, who you might remember was Han Solo's ex-girlfriend from Solo, played by Amelia Clark. Um, she took over the job from Darth Maul after the job was originally held by Paul Bettany's character, who I can't think of his name. Anyway, uh, so she's running the syndicate and she's got all these people together. And uh, as every criminal syndicate is, you know, she's banded together all these different various factions and done the impossible of bringing them together to work for good, kind of. It's like an altruistic syndicate. I don't know. It's kind of bizarre. Um, inevitably, this organization runs into the, like, what are my goals? What's my five-year plan as a member of Star Wars canon? <laughs> and, and and everyone's five-year plan um, in Star Wars, like, once you've checked off enough of the boxes, you just inevitably end up at, we need to kill Darth Vader. Like, right. inevitably, <laughs> that rises to the top of the list um, of, like, you're like, well, what are my roadblocks, you know? Um, if you're if you're ever in any stupid corporate <laughs> meeting, you know, they inevitably get to the, well, what are my roadblocks in, in, in my work process? Uh-huh. And, and, and Darth Vader inevitably is that roadblock. And so right. uh, Crimson Dawn, you know, is like, well, why why don't we just aim for the impossible? It's not like... You know, um, we we can surely accomplish what no one else has managed to accomplish so far. You know, I know I got to believe, uh, as Parappa the Rapper once put it. <laughs> Paul definitely knows what Parappa the Rapper is what? for sure. Oh, yeah. Big oh, fan. I'm, big fan. I'm, I'm so lost in where that reference came from and why Parappa you're mentioning the Rapper? it. Right? Uh, the no, PlayStation I know what game? Rap- oh, I know. I just... <laughs> We're losing, we're losing listeners by the minute no. with these references, Nick. <laughs> I, I gotta believe it's it's uh, it's the most people just uh, what do we call that? Self esteem? I don't know. It's foreign to me. Um, okay, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's okay. I've read the first two issues. Charles Soule, like I said, is making other Star Wars canon relevant. The art is okay sort of giving Kira more of a role than she had in that movie is nice. 
uh, considering I've heard some whisperings of maybe trying to bring her back in one of the shows or, or something like that. So if that doesn't happen, I guess this is a nice way to continue to tease that out. And and if anything else, if there was just a big gold star on the fridge for this book, it's just that it's just a reprieve from the fucking Skywalker family. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> they're, uh, you know... Just just getting a break from them and their extended friends and family is nice. It's nice. Uh, and, and I appreciate that. So <laughs> check it out, I guess. Uh, <laughs> while we're on ambivalent Star uh, Marvel books, I'll just briefly, briefly say I also read Alien number nine. Uh-oh. It was okay. I can't wait to not have Salvador LaRocca art. And just the very short synopsis, of course, is that this is the issue where this um, very, like, Garden of Eden, we have our own planet, we're anti-technology, you know, we want to live like the olden days people. They all gather in the church, and they're like, uh, God will protect us from the alien. And then we find out that God is actually a big fan of aliens and um, <laughs> and, and, and things, things go exactly the way you think they would go. Sorry, spoilers for issue nine. Sorry, spoilers for every narrative every, arc of Alien. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's me. Um what what about you, Mike? Well, I've read I've read a couple of things. I honestly, like I said, I have been just completely out of it. Uh for some reason, like I just have not had the drive to read comics, with the exception of me reading all of um Crisis Zone by Simon Hanselman in like two sittings. And while that's only like two hundred and eighty some pages, it's like it's easily 500 pages worth of like written narrative um, when every page is nine to 12 panels per page. It's crazy. Simon Hanselman. Uh, I like, I've, I think I've said about the Megan Mog books in the past, don't read them, but they're really good. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. I, yeah, it's, exactly. It's so hard for, for me to actually recommend those books because unless you're into like poop and weird fart <laughs> humor, like and weed humor and like <laughs> over the top murder and asinine everything like you're not going to enjoy this book someone's going to sit down with this book and they're going to yeah. go what the fuck is wrong with mike whenever so, you discuss this book i always think of walk hard whenever john c you know john c Riley rolls in on on tim robbins and tim robbins is like you don't <laughs> want none of this do we <laughs> yeah yep. like yeah. that's uh, you for this yeah. book you don't want none of this shit, do we? Uh, yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's exactly that. Like I don't like it's it's really fun, exactly. except for don't read this. But yeah, so I read that. Uh, but the thing that I do want to talk about is uh, New Burn number three. This is uh, Chip Zdarsky, Jacob Phillips. Um, I, all I want to really say about this book is like a plus for creating a modern mafia mythos in New York City that feels slightly original. Not in the sense that Chip Zdarsky has done something monumental with the idea of like crime syndicate stories in New York. But I think the approach that this this book takes where there's a private investigator who solves crimes for the various crime syndicates in New York is really interesting. And I think that the way that especially in issue three, the way that he and um, Phillips approach New York City and how not john wick it is but how it can be very john wick and like there's a neutral zone where people don't do things and blah 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 and they get together and there's no violence and stuff i i really like the way that they portrayed some of that how the syndicates work against and with each other 
obviously it's all fiction, yada, yada, yada. But like, I really like this book and I can't wait to read more. Yeah. So I highly recommend that. And I really think that Jacob Phillips is doing himself like he's doing he's doing so much great work in this book, um, specifically like his cityscapes just look phenomenal. There's nothing in this book that really blew me away outside of a couple of shots that he drew of like this real but fake New York City. I thought was really, really cool, especially the neutral zone that they 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 show in the issue. So um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's it's very, very good. Um, and really quick, I'll talk about uh, Sabretooth number one before I pass things back over to Paul. Um, this is the the book that was my pick last week uh, where, you Uh-oh. know, uh, Sabretooth fell into the pit and we all fell into the pit, <laughs> so on and so forth. It's interesting because, uh, you know, this is Victor LaValle. This is uh, with art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Rain Barreto, uh, letters by Corey Petit. And this is a really interesting book because I couldn't actually tell what was real and what was fake. Uh, I think that that was intentional. Like the idea is that Sabretooth has gone into this null space within Krakoa where that is. No one knows this happened before, like right at the end of house of X powers of 10, um, where the story ended in Sabretooth had killed a human after they had made the rule. You sh- we shall not kill humans, right? Spoilers for a two year old story. Um, but you know, Sabretooth has been in this pit and he's been in this null space where he is alive, but not alive in, in the same way. And it's so funny because, you know, the, the, the hypocritic, hypocritical side of the x-men thing is we will never we won't create a jail we will you know we're looking to you know uh, rehabilitate everybody with the exception of Sabretooth. so like the core of the story is <laughs> Sabretooth is pissed that he's the only one that seems to have gotten dicked over by this deal which i think is again an interesting story it's why i picked up the the comic but he broke out question mark did he actually break out did was it all in his head there's this really interesting thing that the story plays with is what's real what is Krakoa showing Sabretooth what is Doug Ramsey talking to Sabretooth about is this real is this inside Krakoa space is it outside Krakoa space um and I like that we didn't get any real confirmation or at least I didn't feel like we got any confirmation I'm sure anybody that read the issue maybe may disagree but um yeah I thought it I thought it was interesting I didn't hate it um and uh, I'm probably going to read uh, the rest of the series. My my question is like, or my thing is that this book asks the question, should this be a six issue long miniseries? Um, find out more <laughs> in the next issue. That's pretty much my overall thoughts of it. Um, so I'm, I was very in the middle, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Anyways, but Paul, what what else did you read this week that you want to talk about before I go well, too far off this this fucking sandbox? Sure, sure. Uh, going completely different direction from my previous uh, book, I mentioned um, I read Defenders number five. It's by Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez. This is the final issue of their Defenders miniseries, and uh, it was really, really good. I really love this series. Again, I'm a huge fan of Ewing, and this is kind of feels like him and Rodriguez kind of like let loose to do whatever they want with Marvel cosmic cosmology. Hmm. And uh, I know very little about that stuff, but I still had a blast reading this. Um, This is the final issue where Doctor Strange and his ragtag group of defenders he put together reach their their final showdown with Carlo Zota, which is a character I knew nothing about. Um, And it takes place at the third cosmos. Part of the gimmick of this book is that Doctor Strange and the team are traveling backwards through time through all the different multiversal cycles that have been happening in the 616 universe and this is the time time period where there is no there's no good or bad there's no narrative it's just being existence and non-existence are in a cosmic war against each other you know that kind of stuff um and uh so they're there to face down carlo zolta and the masked masked raider who's a character that ewing introduced 
way back in Marvel Comics 1000 a couple years ago. Their identity is finally revealed. Um, again, a lot of the stuff went over my head since I'm not well-versed in a lot of the Marvel uh, cosmic background and stuff. But regardless, mm-hmm. it's still a very fun story. And a lot of it is carried by Rodriguez's artwork, which is incredible. It's Look, I've never... Uh, dabbled in um, psychotropic or hallucinogenics drugs. Uh, not my jam, uh-huh. but I imagine that's probably what it feels like when I'm reading one of these books. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's kind of like, this is your brain on Kirby kind of stuff. Um, and nice. what's great about Rodriguez is that his artwork does feel like a weird mashup of very heavy Ditko influence with a lot of Kirby cosmic stuff dropped into it, which is perfect for this kind of story, especially that one that features um dr strange so what else did i want to say about this um i love the scope of this book again the masked raider is a character that's wearing a mask that's made out of part of eternity the cosmic entity that's a big part of dr strange mythology a lot of characters are dealing have or did have the power cosmic at one point um it's pretty wild stuff and like i said a lot of it is carried by what i don't understand narratively i'm carried by the artwork and it's a shame that marvel's trade program is kind of shambles because i would love an oversized hardcover of this stuff at some point it looks incredible so if you are well versed in cosmic cosmology of marvel you're probably enjoying this stuff but even if you're not this is a book that's worth checking out i like it because it doesn't require me to know anything else about marvel you know what i mean mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure dr strange is dead but i'm reading a book with him <laughs> it doesn't cross over with anything else as far as i can tell it kind of stands on its own um so it's very fun and uh according to the last page of this issue the defenders will be back this summer so hopefully ewing and rodriguez can do more stuff with this with this a uh, ragtag group of uh heroes very quickly, I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago when I talked about this book, but one of the characters in the Defenders is Galactus's mom that they pick up at sure. one point. And <laughs> sure. what's great is that Galactus's mom talks like a Kirby character. Everything uh-huh. she says feels like it was taken from the New Gods or the Eternals. And at one point in this issue, when they're at the third cosmos witnessing the battle between existence and non-existence, she says, quote, we've got front row seats, friends. For the cosmic Donnybrook that began them all. And she, then she goes on, I'm trying to get my readout, but my science, scientist suit won't play ball. It's saying we don't exist. And there's like six exclamation points after everything she says. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> you can tell Ewing's having a blast writing this stuff. And again, uh-huh. even as someone that has very little knowledge of a lot of the stuff being referenced, I'm having just as much fun. When you read a comic, you can tell the writers and creators are having fun writing it. Mm-hmm. That'll kind of carry over and carry you through anything you don't understand usually. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude, I'm looking at the preview art for this book. Holy shit. What is it's going incredible. on? Yeah. Are they allowed to publish books that look this fun? Like, I didn't know that that was a thing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Marvel's house style is like yeah. somewhere. Holy shit. It, I mean, I it feel, looks really cool. I feel between this book and Black Widow, which are the two Marvel books I read sort of like regularly now. Mm-hmm. It's like, do they know they're publishing this? Like, how does somebody <laughs> You know what I mean? These are really good comics. You need to make sure the one kid in the classroom doesn't, uh, you know, alert the teacher that there was actually homework due that day. It's like, don't <laughs> right. be that kid. Don't let Marvel know. <laughs> I just imagine Paul somewhere out on a street corner, like, you know, and he, he like, um, 
opens up his big trench coat and then he's got like all the little sleeves on the side and he's like you want to try some kirby kids (laughs) (laughs) get him hooked early everyone's like that's too extreme for me you know (laughs) oh boy (laughs) i just love whenever people bring up al ewing because then eventually they go anyway so ewing wrote this book and i just think of patrick ewing and um (laughs) i'm just like somewhere there's a center for the new york knicks (laughs) right uh, in the basketball hall of fame that is found a, a new career a new career change and uh and every time you see ewing on the cover nick's like this one's gotta be patrick this one's this gotta one. be patrick yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god wonderful wonderful but yeah I, I highly recommend this book if, if you've not checked it out it should be collected soon so there you go yeah. there's your uh it'll be a nice acid trip for you so to hell speak. yeah so, i mean that's uh, i'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to collect the collection awesome. Awesome. Nick, uh, is there anything else you read that you want to uh, elaborate on for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, (laughs) I feel like the theme for today inadvertently is not only uh, syndicates and crime syndicates, but weirdly (laughs) it's like sci It's like even one step further. So it's like sci-fi, you know, syndicates. So I know that um, maybe maybe that'll just be the next step for the Irishman two is the Irishman two in space. Maybe that's <laughs> <laughs> just make it twice as long. Netflix uh-huh. th- that sure. one's for free. Netflix six hours, <laughs> no commercial break. Right. Um, Joe Pesci in space. Let's do it. Let's do it. Three hours is them just sitting on the on the ship though as it leaves atmosphere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at least if it's weightlessness, you won't have to deal with that weird problem, the Irishman, where you see Robert De Niro being a 30-year-old who walks like Frankenstein <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> if you haven't seen that movie, folks, you should. Yeah, Nick, Nick, talk about the comic that you're going to get to, please. <laughs> I want to talk. You know, let's let's talk about the Irishman now. Let's, oh, no. no, Paul, no. Paul's game, right? Oh, Paul's absolutely. Game. I'm always yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I want to discuss Time Before Time. Uh, most of you probably haven't heard of this book. That's okay. So I read Time Before Time uh, 1 and 2, and I couldn't stop reading. So uh, in my notes, it says 1 and 2, and then I just wrote and 3 on the end, which I apparently don't know how to use the Oxford comma. That's okay. <laughs> so this is written by Declan Shalvey and Rory McConville, art by Joe Palmer, uh, colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by Hassan Otsmane Lehu, Lahu. We've said El-Hau. enough on this show. El-Hau. Yeah. And if this team looks familiar, it's probably because this is literally the exact same team uh, that did the graphic novel also for Image Comics called Write It in Blood, which came out in early 2021. Uh, Shelby actually put that team together roughly. And I know he also did the cover for that. So, you know. Not that much of a coincidence, I guess. If you haven't read that book, Write It in Blood, just very briefly, I'd say definitely check that out. If you like Cone Brothers, dark comedy, crime genre stuff, definitely a big recommend. If you're a Rich Tommaso fan, aesthetically and tonally, big recommend. So now Paul's going to read that. That was easy. Yeah, wow. That's psychological manipulation 101 right there. Um, (laughs) Know your audience. So time travel book, obviously a sucker for that. The book kicks off uh, in 1987 with this guy sort of resettling this mother and son into this new setting of theirs. And then the kid goes, well, what's the Wi-Fi password? And uh, the the guy is like, kid, it's 1987. Like, internet won't exist for like 20 more years or something. And 
just the pure schadenfreude of that page just like energized me for the whole day (laughs) of like (laughs) now you know what it's like to have to sit with like 28 encyclopedia books kid instead of having the internet like (laughs) now you know what it's like to be me um oh boy you know i try to realize that in my age stuff like not understanding TikToking and doing it for the gram like won't ever make sense to me and so i just Uh shouldn't wish hardship on the youths of today just to compensate but sometimes it just feels like the right thing and and reading that page (laughs) i was like thank you so this book basically says hey we've got time travel in 2140 you have this character named tatsuo who's looking to pay off debts to a group called the syndicate if you're going to owe debts to any organization you probably shouldn't owe debts to the organization that just goes by the syndicate probably not a good thing um i do like that you find out that they're not just shipping people into the past as sort of like a witness protection program you realize that they've sort of gotten creative and i do really love that the writers have sort of really teased that idea out of if we have time travel what else can we do? So they're they're not only like relocating people, like quote unquote good people, they're also relocating criminals mm-hmm. that are like, you know, that the cops are looking for. And they're also time traveling into the future to get like future weapons and smuggle, smuggle drugs and medicines and weapons and tech from the future and bring it back and all of the repercussions that come from that, which I thought was like really, really clever and he eventually has this plan with a friend of his that they're just going to, you know, take a pod and get out of the hellhole that is 2140 and things go awry. And I think that's probably as much as I want to say about the book. <laughs> as far as cliffhangers go, as far as being a perfect first issue, it's pretty close. The pacing of this book is excellent. Each issue really manages to land on a point that you're like, oh, gosh, I got to read the next one now. Fuck, how much is that going to cost me? Two bucks. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the trade is out, Nick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, you know, some of us have learned that image image singles on Comixology go down from 4 to $2 after two months. So it's just super cheap that way. I see, I see. There's just a lot to love about this book. I think the fact that as a time travel book, right out of the gate, they just say, look, um, all of the events that happened in the past – are still going to happen. You cannot change the past. Then there was some discussion of this. I think it's at the end of the first issue. Declan Shalvey sort of discusses some of the world building involved in the book. And the fact that they just right out of the gate say that, I think that that's great. Um, Obviously, time travel uh, is pretty empowering as a narrative device. But I think Mm -hmm. also, obviously, it can result in some real deus ex machina, like, oh, of course this happened. Or, oh, you know, this person doesn't exist anymore. It just almost feels too empowering. So the fact that they kind of take that off the table, I thought was really great. Aesthetically, I really, really like the art. Chris O'Halloran has a really deft hand for neon hues. And you can see this in his work in Ice Cream Man. Uh, And you definitely get some more of this, especially right out of the gate when you're in the 1980s. I really love the typography that's used for the year jumps, obviously for a book that is hopping back and Mm -hmm. forth between eras. It's nice that this book understands that not only do you need to clearly call out the time jumps, but for something that's happening so frequently in this book, um, doing it in a manner that's aesthetically appealing would be smart. And they do that at the top of every page. 
when you have a time jump, you get a very clearly identified year in this font that looks great. Uh, I think sometimes the font actually changes based on the year. And in a couple of points where you don't actually know what the year is, it turns into this blurry garbled number that you really can't suss out what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And then what's great is behind the year, there's no people, there's no text boxes, there's just none of that. You just sort of have the setting. Um, maybe it's trees or a building in the background. It sort of like sets the mood for the rest of the page in terms of like where you are and just sort of sets you into that era and sort of, yeah, I, I think it's a really smart way to do things. And I believe Declan Shalvey is technically handling the design of this book as well. And it's fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you discovered this book on your own and no on my one told own. you about it. I'm uh, sharing this with you. Yes, uh, thank you. People I'm who so have glad. not read this book uh, <laughs> and recommending it to you as someone who, uh, again, found this uh, by myself uh, because I'm a genius <laughs> and you're welcome. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Look, time Before Time might be one of the best comics that came out last year, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm glad that you're reading it because it is, it is, it takes, it, like you said, it takes the time travel thing and it actually does it without, a, in a way that doesn't feel like, like it's just nonstop Deus Ex Machina, right? Like it mm-hmm. totally works. Yeah. Totally and works. It, it feels very like they found a way to, again, just narrow in the scope and scale of like, time travel is go anywhere and do anything and be whatever. And here it's like, people have figured out all of the terrible things that you could do mm-hmm. <laughs> if you had time travel. Yeah. Which almost feels like someone called up Garth Ennis at some point and said, what if we did time travel, but made it evil? And he's like, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> okay. What if, what if, what if back to the future met the boys and Garth Ennis is like, dude, that's fucking genius. And they're like, well, we'll take your ideas and make them PG 13 instead of, you know, NC 17. NC 17 yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about one more book before we go to the breaks, before we get into our uh, top bar pile. Uh, really quick, I want to mention uh, I read New Masters number one. Uh, this is by uh, Brothers Creators uh, Shobo and Shoof. Um, and I'll admit, like, I haven't read much in the way of Afrofuturism, but like, in my mind, like, I, I really enjoy sci fi. So I was certain that I was going to enjoy this book. Uh, New Masters is about a future world uh, focused in West Africa where aliens have basically come and kind of put their like thumb on on this part of Africa because it turns out Africa is rich in this this mysterious uh, substance. You know, it's it's an unobtainium type situation. Um, Right. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's very okay. similar. I mean, in that kind of in that idea. But the idea is like <laughs> they the, the thing that I really enjoyed about the issue is not so much like the the core of the story, which we're we're slowly unraveling. I think that uh, the, the this pair Shobo and Shoof they've done a great job of of revealing the story and the atmosphere of the world and everything that you need to know in a really smart way, page by page. It starts very very small and very close on one character, and then as the story unfolds, we get a larger picture of the world. And I think. When, you, when it comes to sci-fi, some creators will take the opposite approach where they're like, and here's the world, and then they zoom in on this one person. And I, I like that this team um, took it the other way. 
And yeah, so you know, there, there's a lot of things that I think this book is saying, but the thing I appreciated the most is this different approach to a sci-fi story in terms of look and culture. And I think when we all think, personally, just as just being a you know a white guy from America, like when I think of sci-fi in the future, I think of like you know big old machines and like future tech with new iPads and new all this other stuff. And instead, it's like the the approach that this book took is like, well, what if like African culture just got a bunch of technology on top of what it already does? So you get a different look at just the way that people live alongside of technology and of like sci-fi elements. Like when, you know, part of this, you know, an African city suddenly becomes, you know, a spaceport that has these giant buildings alongside, you know, the houses that have been there for, you know, or areas that people have been living in for, for hundreds of years and stuff. Um, I thought it was really interesting, beautiful art. Uh, the story is really interesting in terms of like, there's politics, there's the story of struggling in a life of poverty in the future. There is, you know, all, you know, this and that, and like all the little bits and pieces that I think people want out of a really good sci-fi story. Um, and yeah, so I look forward to reading the rest of this six issue miniseries. Looks like it's going to be really, really cool. And um, yeah, I was, it was really fun to dig into like a different style of sci-fi than I'm, I'm normally used to. Or I think that we get offered more, more often in comics, especially. So who's um, publishing this? Uh, this is published by Image. Image. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely going to check that out. Yeah, it sounds really, really interesting. Making it yeah, I, I think this is going to make a really cool trade. Um, but yeah. nonetheless, I, you know, go support the single issues because this book deserves to get uh, published from, to the end. I, I think it's really, really cool. But um, yeah, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our top our pile picks. Plus, I've, I've got a thought or two about Gumroad, the whole thing that's been going on. So we'll be back in just a second. back it was a break you know we, we got to put a break in every episode of the show uh before we get into our uh top of our pile picks for this week i do want to call out this thing that kind of unfolded over the weekend you may have seen it if you're on comics twitter and you're very online um <laughs> quote very but, online unquote yeah. yes but uh there was this big thing that kind of unfolded the gumroad leaning into nfts or then then you know, backtracking a bunch of pedals. Um, I think if you if you follow uh, Box Brown on Twitter, you probably saw this. And if you follow any comics creator that has some sort of indie presence, you probably saw this. Regardless, though, there was a conversation within like the internals of Gumroad that Box Brown was working for, and they were talking about potentially leaning into NFTs pretty hard. Box Brown is not about that. I think a lot of comics creators are not about that, especially like smaller creators who don't want their work to contribute to you know the detriment of the earth's environment as well as a bunch of other things if you're curious about nfts you should listen to the episode that we did a couple weeks back or check out the nft shit list that we have list of creators and uh a documentation as to why we think nfts at ircb thinks that you know nfts are bad but yeah i thought it was really interesting to see gumroad lean into this thing that i feel like a lot of indie creators are against they admitted that a lot of their indie creators were not a fan of but they still wanted to try and I don't know, Paul, Nick, I don't know if you guys saw any of that or have any thoughts on it, but I just wanted to call it out because one, NFTs are bad. And two, every time a company leans into this, I feel like the public reaction is negative across the board. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, it, you know, it I, feels... Oh, go ahead, Paul. <laughs> I was just going to say, I know very little about the details, but it's very telling that, you know, one of... I, I know of Gumroad because of Box Brown, because I think he's probably one of the bigger names on there, but any type of indie group like that that's doing these things without the sort of acknowledgement or um, 
approval of the people contributing to it is very suspicious. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like how many creators that are part of Gumroad supported it in the first place or even knew about it happening before they made that announcement? That's really troubling to me. Yeah, I mean, and I will say like Gumroad hasn't like started to roll out NFTs. They haven't like leaned into it and saying this is what we're doing moving forward. They were just playing with the idea. And I think Box Brown's concern was like, well, even if you guys are playing with it and you're saying we're not doing NFTs yet, that still means that you support the idea and encourage this thing that is... Right. I think a lot of artists see as detrimental. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think I personally see as detrimental to comic art and comic or like artists in general, um, especially comic creators who I think have been burned. And um, with the exception of the the rare big ones that are out there, like fucking Todd McFarlane, who's pairing with Steve <laughs> Aoki to make an NFT for some reason around Spawn, yeah. you know. But I don't know. Nick, what were your <laughs> thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, it, it really just felt like another example of, of what we've seen over the last couple months, which are that large corporations and you know even mid-sized corporations now are well versed enough that they like they have a basic idea of what nfts are they know that there's a lot of uh, free money to be had there if they get in by this point they know that generally speaking making that sort of announcement on twitter is certainly going to at least result in some sort of a minor amount at least a minor amount of pushback and probably some sort of a you know have your have your pr person um ready because they're gonna have to pull some spin Mm -hmm. so what you see now as opposed to a couple months ago is that everybody's like hey guys you know and they really hedge their bets they're like well we're we don't really know that much but we're gonna we're gonna test the waters we're gonna Mm -hmm. you know have our own little exploratory you know commission or something and we're just we're thinking about this not thinking about it too hard guys don't worry just sort of the occasional thought and uh you know let's see what happens right like that's sort of what it is now everybody's like well we're just kind of thinking about it and sure which and and i'm not saying that that's genuinely how they feel like they might really be ready to put the pedal to the floor on these sorts of things but you know they kind of want to like lay a groundwork again maybe this is me projecting but it feels like it's sort of like we want to lay a a groundwork and sort of set a foundation that we, we can then basically you know go full nft on and um yeah so i think that's what you saw um, well, I, I think the, the problem with the Gumroad situation is not so much that they were like, hey, guys, we might be doing NFTs in the future. We're not sure yet. Right. Dot, dot, dot. Is mostly that there were people like, hey, fuck you. Don't do that. And they were like, yeah, well, guess what? I'm going to half dox you. Like, on Twitter, right. Obviously, you know? it, it yeah. and then they got interesting. It, it, right. And but. here's the thing that I want to be completely transparent about here. Gumroad sure. is not a big operation. Gumroad is mm-hmm. run by like one person plus a handful of volunteers because i looked into this and i was looking for a new job i was like fuck it'd be super cool to go work at gumroad right. and it turns out that gumroad is only like maybe a dozen or two dozen people and i may be wrong about that maybe i just read the wrong thing on the internet at the time but i don't think that they have like a ton of resources so i think it was just one person yeah. on their twitter account just kind of like pushing and slapping at people in a, in a very defensive way and i get that right if you float an idea and people react so negatively to it and start really tearing at your shit like i get on reacting that way to a certain extent but you are a business and if the people who allow your business to thrive are vehemently against this especially in a place where i don't know like social media is probably not the best sampling for (laughs) figuring out like Mm -hmm. what people actually want but at the same time why would you 
go against what you would assume you be, would be trusted individuals who work for your company, like a Box Brown, right? Who's been in fully employed, says that he loves the job, wants to see the thriving of an independent creator resource like Gumroad, who offers the ability for creators of all kinds to be able to support themselves by selling things independently. So you don't have to use a comiXology. So you don't have to use a Humble Bundle or you don't have to use um, you know, something else that would probably cost more money. Um, you just want to independently pu- publish things, um, which is why I think it's interesting that you see other companies like itch.io uh, and ko-fi ko-fi coming out and saying hey guys fuck all that we're actually understand that that's bad and we want to support creators too and people are migrating to those different places because god forbid if a big company like a comiXology or a humble bundle decided to offer him nfts like some people i don't think would have an alternative if they couldn't sell their things on these bigger marketplaces and they'd have to turn to something like that. And I think Ko-Fi and itch and there's, I know there's a bunch of other ones are ramping up to say like something like this might happen in the future and we need to be able to scale and uh, make sure that our servers and all this other stuff can handle like these digital like distribution things. Um, And Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I just, I only want to bring it up because I cannot stress enough how bad of an idea NFTs are (laughs) Uh, because they offer no value. And if you, anybody out there, you know, wants to argue with it, it's like to say, oh, it benefits creators, then just fucking pay artists to make things. You don't like what is the value of buying a digital representation of an image from through a third party medium where another company makes money off of it when you can just commission someone or go to a a creator's website and buy the original art from them have them make something for you that's original right pay that same amount just to get the thing it's a one-to-one rather than having to go through this third-party transaction mm-hmm. i don't understand that but. and for those of you out there who are like yes but how am i going to get my hands on an overly priced drawing done in ms paint uh ringo <laughs> star sure. sells his prints for a pretty expensive price and so it's true Head on over to Ringo Starr's website. Uh, I think it's like peaceandlove.com or something. I don't know. That's a joke. <laughs> I don't know what that site is. Don't go there, people. Who knows what that is? But he always says that on Twitter. So I just threw that in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I don't. we don't have to make this whole episode about NFTs again. I just like can't believe that we're still going through this shit <laughs> after yeah. like two years of people screaming about it. No, I mean, it's it's just a cycle we're going to see more of where it's just like, hey, guys, like we're thinking about this or we're considering this. Like nobody says anymore, like we're doing NFTs, right? They are like there's this. So they sort of leave a way out and then everybody just gives overwhelmingly negative feedback. <laughs> and, and then, of course, they sort of have to find a way to either be like, all right, guys, we heard your opinion, you know, in two weeks or whatever, or they they try to pivot. You know, like when Valiant went and set up their own um, Twitter page for specifically for Valiant NFTs so that they could basically deflect all of the uh, updates uh, onto a whole new page. Uh So that's Uh another approach you can take. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so what? <laughs> sorry, I, I'm never going to get off this soapbox. So I apologize. I, I don't apologize. You know, fuck no, that. Don't, don't make me yeah. apologize, Paul. Nick. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, we're not going to. Never, um, no. never mind. Let's uh, let's talk about comics that we're excited about <laughs> rather than mm-hmm. screaming that I'm, you know, screaming about comic book things that we're not excited about. So what is on the top of your pile this week? Let's start with you, Nick. Yeah. So for me, it's definitely going to be um, Hellboy and the BPRD. Um, these these issues are always so weirdly titled. Uh, Hellboy and the BPRD colon nineteen fifty seven Forgotten Lives number one. 
look, Hellboy and the BPRD is kind of in a weird place. They they were organizing their book um, by year uh, for a couple years. And I think that went on from like 1952 through 56. And then they decided that they didn't want to feel obligated to have to stick with the years and the canon that they were building. And so they jettisoned the year part and then just started telling stories wherever they wanted for about two years. And now they're going back to it. So again, like this just only goes back to this theory I have that if anyone 200, 300 years from now in the future, you know, anthropologists are trying to parse together the history of comics, it's not going to happen. Like this will be... (laughs) (laughs) The, you know, um, and, and maybe 300 years from now, comic book DB will finally exist again. And so maybe that Rosetta Stone <laughs> will finally um, be be handed out. But 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 I don't know. Um, get your shit together, comic book DB. I, I, I can't I can't it's keep gone. going to comic vine. OK, Nick, it's, no, gone. No. it's gone. It's gone. Comic, vine comic book it. DB a thing. It's not a thing. Uh, <laughs> it's gone. It certainly isn't anymore. So so this book is written by Mike Mignola and Chris Roberson. Roberson is perhaps best known uh, for iZombie. Uh, art by Stephen Green. Uh, colors by Dave Stewart. Surprise. Letters by Clem Robbins. Again, surprise. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm just really pumped for this book because Hellboy is sort of like X-Files. And I don't just mean that in the sense that they sort of have the same subject matter of uh, supernatural and cryptozoology and whatnot, but but also that it sort of shares the X Files affinity for sort of being this combination of serialized storytelling uh, as well as um, episodic storytelling at the same time. Um, and much like what I found to be the case for X Files, so frequently the episodes or issues or content that is uh, most memorable that most immediately comes to mind are the sort of really strong standalone episodes or, or issues. And I think that this is going to be one of those for, for Hellboy. Um, mm-hmm. The solicit says Hellboy and professor Trevor Brutenholm team up for some quality father son time at a New York potter's field where they try to unravel the mystery of a spectral being haunting the packed graveyard Upon arrival, the two of them quickly realized there may be more things haunting the buried poor at the mass grave than meets the eye. Uh, Transformers. So <laughs> I might have added a word there. Uh, oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah. So this already sounds like a lot of fun. You've got Stephen Green on art, who some of you might know from. Uh, he's drawing Sea of Stars at Image, uh, mm. written by Jason Aaron and Dennis Hallam, who used to be known as Dennis Hopeless, but now goes by um, uh, Hallam, apparently. Green's done work before with Hellboy. He drew Hellboy in the BPRD 1954 Black Sun. Uh, and the cover art has the uh, image of Lobster Johnson. So I think somehow Lobster Johnson's going to be involved, which is, for those who don't know, he's kind of like a like a 1950s pulp um, almost like the shadow. He's basically like the a fictional character within the Hellboy verse that is basically the shadow, except some people think he's actually real and some people don't. And it's kind of its own conspiracy theory. Does that make sense? Sure. No. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like he's supposed to be like this pulp character that Hellboy reads in like pulp novels, but some people think he's real. Okay. And I, I won't get into that more for those people who are like, oh, that's really interesting. Nick, please send me a very complicated reading list for Hellboy so I can get in on this. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, that's uh, the Lobster Johnson books are on my to reading to read list, as well as the, the the Joe Golem books. At one point, I bought all those books because you're like, Mike, this is really good. And then it just been sitting in my backlog. So <laughs> just like you saw you, Jimbo, one day I will get to them. And, one you know, day. the fact that I'm reading through that series should say you've got a good chance that I'm going to read those in 2024. I think in order to encourage people to read their digital backlog. It's that a digital backlog needs to manifest properly the guilt that a physical backlog has where you're just like looking <laughs> right. at a shelf and you're like, fuck me. Yeah. Like yeah. comic book creators get on this, like make a website that as I get more digital shit, like it shows me a digital bookcase that's further in disrepair where like mm. the, the spines <laughs> of the books just don't line up anymore. Or it's just where you can tell where I was alphabetizing for a while and then stopped. And I was just like, fuck <laughs> it, jam this in there. Get me oh, that, boy. and I'll read more yeah. of my digital backlog. <laughs> Paul, what about you? What are you excited for this upcoming week? <laughs> well, as I promised earlier in this episode, I'm going to be talking about Batman for a little bit here. I don't know if you guys heard, but there's a new Batman movie coming out soon. So Ooh. I've been very excited, reading a lot of Batman comics between that and between, of course, the upcoming Patreon series, A Better Batmobile. I'm starting mm-hmm. to research for that. I've had Batman on the brain. Okay. I've had so much Batman on the brain. I promise I'll talk about comics in a second. I've had so much Batman on the brain that yesterday I woke up Mm. and I was like, I'm going to, I want to buy the new Lego set for the new Batmobile. I haven't bought Legos in probably 25 years, but I was like, I want to do this new Batmobile. It looks cool. It'd be a nice little project to do this winter while I'm stuck inside. I drive to Target. That's 20 minutes from my house because it says Mm -hmm. they have one in stock. I go there. I'm looking up and down the aisle. It's not, I don't see it. So I'm waving down a person to help me. I'm like, I'm looking for this item. Uh, I'm looking for this Lego set. I don't see it on the shelf. Says you have one in stock. Woman's like, oh, is it a Batman thing? Because I'm showing her the item number. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, I'll go look for it. And then I I was standing here waiting for her to come back. And I realized I'm a 39-year-old man standing in Target trying to find a Lego Batman set. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? Is this the Lego? This is the Lego Technic Batman, right? Like the, the Batmobile. The f- yep, yep. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. It looks pretty cool, doesn't it, Mike? It, I, dude, I think I'm going to go buy one of these. <laughs> right. So anyway, long story short, they didn't have it. I was so I got luckily I was at Target, so I somehow managed to spend a hundred dollars on other stuff I somehow needed. Yeah. You know, every time you go to Target, that always happens. <laughs> so I but it, so I get home and then I order one online. I'm like, I guess I'll wait a couple days to get it. I was so angry, I had to wait to do this Batmobile. But anyway. <laughs> That's if you're trying to rank my excitement for this new Batman movie, that's about where it is. So um, anyway, all that being said, I'm excited to read Detective Comics number 1051 and 1052. If you're not following along, Detective Comics is currently in the middle of a 12 issue weekly story. So they've got issues coming out every week. So I'm one week behind. I've not read uh, 1051, which came out last week and 1052 comes out this week. Um, this is a really good story. The main story is being written by Mariko Tamaki, who uh, has been writing detective comics ever since the future state. Uh, I was going to say debacle, and I guess I'll say debacle, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> the future state hoopla over at DC. Um, uh-huh. And I really like her take on detective comics. Uh, this is following the events of the fear state crossover, um, after which 
Batman decided to bounce. He needed some time to himself, left Gotham in the hands of the Bat family. And I really like the fact that this book is focusing on those other characters. It focuses on Oracle, Nightwing, Batwoman, uh, Orphan, all the sort of Bat family side characters. And this story called The Tower is focusing on them investigating the new Arkham Tower, which is built right downtown since Arkham Asylum was destroyed. And obviously, any building named Arkham is going to raise some eyebrows among the Batman family mm-hmm. and Batman himself in Gotham. It's being pitched as a sort of cure-all for Gotham. And what's interesting is that Tamaki's really making Gotham City the central character. The idea is that this is an attempt to rebuild the heart of the city. They put Arkham right downtown. And by healing these violent criminals, they can kind of heal the city itself. And it's making Gotham a character. Again, I really appreciate that. So the first few chapters were written by, illustrated by Ivan Rice. Looks like this two issues are going to be illustrated by Max Rayner. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I, I think it's not a spoiler since he's on the cover of issue 1051. But it turns out that the reason that the Arkham, this new Arkham Tower has been so sex successful in rehabilitating criminals is that uh, the psycho pirate is helping out, is keeping everyone in line. So anytime the psycho pirate shows up, I'm on board. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Batman, psycho pirate, my kind of comic book. I'm excited to get caught up on this uh, current story. Nice. I mean, this this sounds interesting. Am I going to mm-hmm. buy Detective Comics when this whole thing finishes? find out uh, in six I, months i really recommend it man i i think like i said once tamaki took over so tamaki and uh, dan mora took over right after future state and that stuff's really good i think the tower is a good story there's also a backup that runs through these issues but written by matthew rosenberg um that's really fun too it's called shadows of the bat if you want some good batman comics that don't necessarily have to deal with batman unpacking the psychological trauma of his parents being killed yeah. you just want to see gotham city this might be the book for you then Holy and again shit. it's it, it's cool because it is like it lives up to the name there's a lot of investigation you know undercover stuff it feels like a detective comic no 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 pun intended it is very much what the title implies very cool well i'll look for that once uh it becomes available on hoopla or something mm-hmm. um uh but well i guess to, to wrap things up for me um i am excited for a book that i said was on the top of my pile on Patreon, if you're if you're not on the Patreon, we do this thing every Thursday called Top of My Pile, where you can see folks that were on the show, that folks that weren't on the show, uh, what they're reading next, um, and we make those public every week on Twitter and stuff. You can you can see all that there. But I'm finally actually I'm going to do this right after we finish recording. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this book called Side Quests. This is by Kyle Fuel. It's a uh, it's a story from Koguchi Comics, and it's pretty much like the perfect size little comic um, that like fits in your pocket. It feels like a Japanese tankoban, which is really really nice. Nice. Um, I backed this on Kickstarter along with another book that was coming out at the same time. They were advertised as like a manga style English comic. And this one in, in particular is like a bundle of short, short fantasy stories that are in told in this kind of like very, I don't know, like it, just interesting, like manga style, but it's 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 aimed at a Western audience. So it reads left to right. And yeah, the thing that really strikes me about this book is that it's so well put together. It's such a high quality comic. Like the the paper's really nice, the cover's nice. It, it's a paperback book that has like a slip cover, like a Japanese tankoban. And yeah, I'm I really really love just the quality of this book. The printing's really crisp. The paper's really nice. Like I said, and yeah, I, I really have to applaud Koguchi or Koguchi Comics and uh, for 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 valuing the quality of their book like this. I think you see this with other publishers like P E O W Comics. 
um, but they're closing down this year. So if you can go buy some of their stuff before they they stop selling things in November, amazing comic book publisher. They make some really, really unique comics. Um, and Shortbox Comics is also another publisher that does stuff like that. Like they print in various sizes and various qualities and stuff. And, and they do really fun, interesting things with their comics because they know that the, the physical comic that you get isn't just the content inside of it. It is the physical item itself. And so they do these short runs of all these different things. They really want to make sure that you're getting your bang for your buck. So like while they are a little bit more expensive, you can tell that the quality is there. It's not just a cash grab. They really care about the physical physicality of the comics that you're getting. Um, I, I really appreciated the latest short box uh, thing that they did on Kickstarter. Um, Kickstarter is a whole other conversation that we can have. But yeah, I, I if you can support short box or PEOW or this uh, Koguchi, uh, Koguchi comics, um, I highly recommend it because they, they clearly all care about the physical nature of the comic as well as having high quality stories like short box stuff that I've gotten. I've read a lot of really good comics from them. Um, same with PEOW. So yeah, looking forward to finally sitting down and reading this. This is a short little book. I just need to actually find time and energy to do things. So I'm going to do that today because the coffee's still running through me very strongly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess the, the one thing I should say, I totally skipped doing this. I can't believe that. How, how dare I? I do want to shout out the folks on Discord who are hanging out with us. Uh, they also gave me some picks for this week. Uh, Matt is reading Radio Apocalypse number two. Paul G is reading Drive Volume three by Dave Collette. And Danny is reading Batman the Movie. I think that's what I <laughs> what I've got written down here. Is that a thing, Danny? I'm I'm curious now because I don't know if this is actually a comic. Are you just watching Batman the movie, or did I copy <laughs> and paste something wrong? Um, I definitely copy and pasted something wrong. He said the Secret X Men number one. This is just on me. So Danny's reading the Secret X Men number one. I don't know where that came from, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap up the show. Nick, Paul, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Um, I I'm hoping that Nick continues with his Love and Rockets. Um adventure and i want him to check in with me regularly uh as far as his progress goes <laughs> yeah. I, give him pep talks, I feel like i'm like on love and rockets probation and paul is like my parole <laughs> officer <laughs> i again i will say that uh it, it does it does get um it changes tone there are far less rockets and more love as it goes on so uh mm. i don't know your your mileage with that might vary i think it gets a lot better once you get to the end of that first volume I mean, you know, honestly, I, I don't I don't mind what I'm getting right now. It's just it's surprisingly a dense read for <laughs> something that was sort of I mean, I thought was going to be more like slice of life where it's like, oh, I'm just sure. finding myself and these are my friends. And here it's like these robots are going to destroy the hover bikes. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> and again, I don't want to start too much of a conversation since wrapping up, but you know, yeah, as yeah. you were talking about the, the sort of complicated narrative of Hellboy, I couldn't help but think about once you get deeper into Love and Rockets, there are a lot of points where Jaime throws in flashback stories in the middle of a narrative. So oh, it's, it's, you know, it is a thing where it's like, you could be reading about one character, then all of a sudden you're thrown back to them having like a memory or a flashback to their connection to other characters kind of out of nowhere. And it makes a very engaging narrative experience. So if you're, if you're already familiar with that kind of stuff, reading Hellboy, yeah, you'll, you'll have no problem sort of parsing that stuff out when you get to it in Love and Rockets. It's sort of like its own canon or universe onto itself. Yeah. Interesting. The, the Hernandez verse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just one of books them, cross over two, so between yeah. the brothers. Does that happen? Uh, very early on, they had a few crossovers, but it, that's that was when it started 30 plus years ago. So oh, it's a, they kind of do their own things now. It's very funny to hear them talk about that, where they'll say they won't see each other's stories till the, they get the printed version of the book. They don't even know what the other person's working on until oh, they see crazy. the finished product. So 
Yeah. Well, once Nick gets to the entire Love and Rockets catalog, we'll do a whole episode <laughs> about it. But until then, yeah. uh, next week's episode is a commissioned episode by our good friend Jeff. Uh, it's going to be me, Kara, and Nick. And we're going to be talking about the challenge of supporting the comic book industry and local economies to acquire, to acquire physical goods in a world where, you know, digital is... You know, I think the three of us all really push on digital. And so that Jeff Jeff picked the three of us to talk about this um, as, a, as a patron at our $10 tier. I think we have one or two slots left for that. So if you're interested in commissioning an episode for us, make sure to head over to patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. But I want to say you can also follow me and Nick and Paul on Twitter. You can follow Paul at OIPolly. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Raffin. And you can follow IRCB on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at IRCB podcast. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. You can join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. You can join now at patreon.com forward slash IRCB podcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show, five stars, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, because we deserve it. Mike wrote that in all caps, and I probably didn't give that the emphasis it deserved, <laughs> but I've burned that I've burned that bridge, I've crossed that bridge, I've run out of bridge metaphors. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat about comics and pretty much anything else. Plus, you can listen to us record the episodes live every week. There's a link to the Discord on our show notes, or in the show notes, as it were. Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth, so why not tell your friends, your family, your local comic book shop about IRCB Podcast? You have got nothing to lose by doing that. And we'd really appreciate it. Uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music, and we can't thank them enough. Xander is a very cool guy who listens to us blather on and on about <laughs> NFTs every week, more than you probably know. Uh, he also edits the show, and he is wonderful for that reason. I want to say thank you to everyone hanging out with us in the Discord. Thank you to Paul and Nick for doing this episode with me today. And thank you to everyone out there who listens and shares the show. You are wonderful, fantastic human beings. Thank you so much. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Comics are good.